Welcome to the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers. As a double board certified family and obesity medicine physician with over 12 years of experience in medicine, I teach motivated individuals how to achieve their desired quality of life while preventing and reversing chronic diseases. It's tea time. What part of your health journey is most challenging? Is it the actual effort of sticking to a plan? The cooking and the meal planning? The exercise routine? Not enough time for everything you think you need to do? Or the confusion of it all? If you said yes to any of these obstacles, then keep listening to learn how you can smash these problems just by checking your email. You check your email inbox every day already, but what if checking your inbox brought you better health instead of the stress it sometimes can bring? Well, I have news for you. You can improve your health, get a jump start on improving your health conditions, and start to feel like a better version of you just by checking your email inbox over the next five days when you join the free Nourish and Flourish five-day challenge. You'll get health tips, actionable videos, a goal and habit tracker, and healthy recipes every day for five days. Better health is the best investment you'll ever make, and this is only a small investment of your time. You have nothing to lose but everything to gain. The Nourish and Flourish 5-Day Challenge was designed to set the foundation for healthy habits for life. Say yes to yourself today and sign up now at drshayla.com forward slash NF challenge. I'll also place these details in the show notes. The essence of health is in you. See you in your inbox. On today's episode of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast, I have a special guest, Dr. Jamie Evans. Dr. Jamie is a physician board certified in family medicine and psychiatry, and most recently in obesity medicine. She spent the first half of her career working as a primary care physician for a federally qualified health center, FQHC, in rural Northeastern North Carolina. She then joined Array Behavioral Care in 2018 as a full-time psychiatrist doing emergency room crisis and inpatient consult liaison work, and she now serves as a medical director and co-chair of Array's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. She works part-time in urgent care clinics. She also has a passion for mentoring students interested in health care. So thanks for joining me on the show, Dr. Jamie. I am so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here, Dr. Shayla. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. And for our listening audience, because both Dr. Jamie and I are physicians, we want to make it clear uh, that we are not your personal physician. So we want you to remember that the information and resources shared here on the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast are for informational purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for direct medical advice from your doctor or other qualified medical provider. This information and resources are not intended to diagnose, treat, nor cure any type of disease or health condition and does not serve as medical advice for you personally. All right. So Dr. and Jamie, we're going to dive right in here. As a specialist in psychiatry and obesity medicine, can you explain to us the relationship between obesity and mental health? Yes, absolutely. It's a really good question. First, I want to just start by saying that, you know, 
we have to understand that obesity in and of itself is a complex medical condition. It is not that fat is just fat. Obesity in and of itself is the excess accumulation of fat cells or adipose tissue. And what we now understand about them is that the fat cells are actually active endocrine organs like your pancreas or your thyroid in your body. They've got blood vessels, they have nerves, and they release hormones and other markers. So having said that, people with mental health conditions are twice as likely to develop obesity and obesity-related comorbidities like hypertension, diabetes, as well as having a higher risk of death than people who do not suffer from obesity. Also, people with serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia tends to have higher rates of obesity as well. And people who in general experience obesity tend to be subject to weight bias, which a lot of people know and understand. Weight bias is when people are either made fun of or discriminated because of having a higher you know, body mass index or you know, obesity. And that can contribute to depression, it can contribute to anxiety, it can contribute to eating disorders disorders and substance use disorders. So it really can contribute to a lot. Another linkage is that both obesity and mental health conditions can develop in people who've experienced something called an adverse childhood condition or an ACE. And that is typically some sort of trauma in a person's lifetime childhood, such as experiencing some sort of abuse, whether sexual, physical, or emotional verbal abuse, or witnessing some sort of traumatic event or domestic violence in the home. And so that certainly can contribute to the development of both of these conditions. Also, there are other factors that have been researched that can connect these two as well. Um, One really big one is inflammation in the body. And so one of the things that we've realized is that, again, as fat tissue is an active endocrine organ, it releases these inflammatory markers into the bloodstream. And this is really due to a breakdown of the barrier between the blood and the stomach um, and the and the stomach tissue or the blood gut barrier. And that can raise the risk of conditions like uh, of like cancer, specifically like colorectal cancers, kidney, endometrial cancers. It can cause a higher rate of stroke, heart disease, and diabetes risk, right? So we know that like specific foods can cause inflammation in the body. People may have heard about like pro-inflammatory foods, some of the, the good stuff that people <laughs> like, <laughs> um, things you should eat in moderation if you're going to eat them. So red meats, uh, processed meats like bacon, refined carbohydrates. So those are like high, high sugar foods or things that break down into simple sugars like white bread, white rice, dessert, having sweetened drinks, high sugar drinks like soda or tea, sweet tea, especially down here in the South where I am in North Mm -hmm. Carolina. And so this inflammation, these inflammatory pathways actually can also not only affect, you know, and release these inflammatory markers into the bloodstream via the stomach, but then you have this thing called the blood-brain barrier. That protects the brain from harmful substances like inflammatory markers. And so if you have this leakage or this propensity for leakage in your you know, blood-gut barrier, the same thing can happen with your brain. And so we're also finding that we can you know, develop a number of mental health conditions related to inflammation in the body as well. So it can contribute to symptoms like decreased pleasure or something we call psychomotor slowing. So that can be like a decrease in a person's thought or their movement, literally feeling like they're moving through mud and those types of symptoms that can be featured in depression. So all of this is like, yeah, yeah. that is uh, (laughs) 
a lot. You know, and for the <laughs> listeners, they're probably like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. But no, you know, yes. what's the important to note there is that there are so many things in our body that mm-hmm. impact one another. Yes. And so I'm an osteopathic physician. And so one of the, the focuses in osteopathic medicine is that, you know, the, the body has, is interconnected. And, mm-hmm. you know, one thing can play on the, the next. And what yes. you said, it just is a great example of mm-hmm. that, how you can't just say, oh, the kind of how in the weight loss world, you'll hear people like, oh, if I can just lose that tummy. Well, no, you know, exactly. <laughs> there are a lot spot of things reduce. that are, right, that are playing here. And so you can't, it's not just a, a, a one target type of mm-hmm. deal. Um, and then the other thing you touched on was weight bias. And that's one of the things I'm excited about the field of obesity medicine Mm -hmm. and specialists like yourself getting that fellowship training, because I think it's also going to be helpful to the medical field, because what we know about weight bias is that it occurs so frequently, even amongst our colleagues. Um, And that impacts patients. You know, I've seen a number of patients are like, you know, every time I went there, all they did was tell me I'm fat or, you know, all they did was say everything I had was because I'm fat and nobody Mm -hmm. ever checked for anything else. And unfortunately, we do know that that happens, but that hinders the type of care uh, that patients who may have a bit of extra weight uh, would receive. And so and so important for recognizing those things. So thanks for highlighting all those points. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And so something else, even within the medical field, while we're on that subject that sometimes is missed is that certain medications can have an impact on an individual's weight. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, what are some of those mental health medications that can commonly contribute to weight gain? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for asking that question. Great questions. So the, I think the most important thing to recognize is that not everyone will gain weight on medications that have a side effect of weight gain. Some people have different genetic makeup. Well, we obviously have different genetic makeup. People break down medications differently in their bodies, and there can be some environmental factors that are also contributing. So all of the medications that I'll list now are not always going to produce weight gain in you know, everyone who takes them. And so if we start with antidepressants, some of the most common ones that people think about are like Paxil or Paroxetine, one of our, you know, oldest antidepressants. Um, Also Zoloft, a very common one that I love to use as well. It's also known as sertraline. And another one that we actually use to its side effect benefit is a medication called Remeron or Mirtazapine. And a lot of times we're giving this to a person who potentially needs a little bit of a boost in appetite because one of its side effects, where you're using the advantage of that appetite stimulation. It also can produce some relaxation and rest as well. And so because of some of the different receptors that it hits in the body, uh, those medications can cause weight gain. Um, antipsychotics. So Antipsychotics can be used not only for psychosis, but we also use some of the antipsychotics for augmentation or kind of giving a boost in a depression medicine that a person may already be on. So, and it can also be used for, you know, mood disorders like bipolar disorder as well. So people can keep those and in mind. And even sleep sometimes. And even mm-hmm. sleep. In particular, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the ones that can be used off-label for sleep is Seroquel. 
Yeah. Um, that's also known as quetiapine. So that's one of the common ones. And, you know, I've seen some people, if they start at a lower dose of 25 milligrams and go to 200 milligrams and haven't had weight gain, the likelihood is they wouldn't have like um, any weight gain at higher doses. But you have some people who could be on 12.5 or 25 milligrams and they've gained 20 pounds. And so <laughs> increasing that medication constantly, maybe placing that person at risk for excess, you know, excessive weight gain. Um, other medications in the same category. And these are the new school antipsychotics. The Seroquel is like one of the new school ones. There's Zyprexa. That one can be used and, and sometimes it is um, used in combination with Prozac as a combination pill. There's a formulation out there to um, help with depression. And so um, Zyprexa is a very common one that can cause this heavy weight gain and which also can unfortunately lead to other metabolic um, issues like blood sugar abnormalities and also uh, cholesterol abnormalities, et cetera. Uh, you also have Clozaril. That's one that's really common. And there's another medication called Geodon. Now, again, I've seen a lot of patients um, who have been on the Geodon. I've seen some whose weight has shot up on it. And I've seen a lot of people who haven't gained weight on it. So it also, it just always depends on the person. As far as the older school antipsychotics, the most notorious is Thorazine. And we actually may use that um, in the professional world that I'm in, um, you know, in the emergency rooms. And um, if we have children who are having some agitation. Thorazine is one of the medications that we use as needed, but some children may get placed on it, so it may place them at higher risk of weight gain. We also have mood stabilizers. Mm -hmm. Some of the most common ones are like Depakote that people think of, um, as well as lithium. And so Depakote is also an anti-seizure medicine, but most commonly, you know, we use it for bipolar disorder. We can use it for migraine headaches as well, you know, in addition to the anti-seizure properties. And so there's another anti-seizure medication that is, can commonly also increase weight gain, <laughs> and that's Tegretol. Um, and then also Gabapentin. Gabapentin can be used for anxiety, for mood stabilization, but also a lot of people know it as, you know, being a medicine that helps with chronic pain and also nerve pain. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sum summing that up for us. And just to highlight, this is why it's so important to see a doctor who is, you know, specializes in this thing. And I'm excited to see that psychiatrists like yourself are, yes. are specializing in obesity medicine because yes. it's so important for the doctor to understand that relationship too. Not that you won't prescribe these medications, but mm -hmm. so that you're even more capable of counseling your patient effectively, you know, exactly. what may happen and how to prevent those things from occurring, or maybe even augment their treatment plan so that they right. can have maybe, you know, some appetite reduction medication or something in addition so that they don't experience that weight gain and those uh, health complications that can even come from that. So yeah, so good job, good for you uh, for getting that additional training um, to for for the care that you're providing to uh, the much needed community, the work that you do too. Yes. If you're frustrated with your weight, taking more medications than you'd like to, have been told that you are at risk for the development of a chronic preventable disease, or just are not feeling in the best of health, then I'm talking to you. Why? Because you're tired of fat dieting, you know it's time for a change, and you want a sustainable plan to improve your health. If you have found yourself at this place in life, well, I have developed a program that's just for you. It's called The Essence of Health, and it's your prescription for transformation. 
My goal with this program is to give you the tools needed to create sustainable lifestyle changes within a group coaching setting, along with one-to-one individualized coaching to give you a personalized path to health that's just for you. The benefits are priceless. So join today. Head on over to eohcoaching.com to learn more. The essence of health is in you. So what role have you found, Dr. Jamie, even within the mental health realm, that emotional eating may play in the relationship between obesity and mental health? And then how do you typically counsel your patients on emotional eating? Another great question, definitely. So emotional eating can be a feature of some mood disorders like depression, I think most commonly people think someone's stressed out or depressed. And so you want to reach for, you know, ice cream, or you want to reach for some candy thing or some comfort foods, things that just tend to make us feel better. We have all been there. We have our favorite, you know, foods that are just comforting to us and that we may not even realize that we're reaching for when we get stressed out. So of course, emotional eating, unfortunately, can contribute to weight gain, especially if you're leaving specific mental health conditions untreated like depression or anxiety. And so um, one of the things we do know is that having untreated depression or people who are not getting a lot of sleep, that's probably a lot of us, <laughs> or people who have an abnormal sleep schedule, like people who work on a third shift, so who don't have regular sleep patterns, or people who are dealing with higher levels of stress, as we talked about, definitely can um, have emotional eating, and that can contribute to weight gain. As far as counseling patients on emotional eating, first start with the five A's of obesity management. I want to focus on the first one, which is ask. Ask for permission to have the discussion if the patient doesn't bring it up first. And so I'm really glad that, you know, you expanded upon weight bias and the fact that it does exist amongst us as providers, you know, in the medical community, uh, because I have definitely heard, and I'm sure, again, you've heard the same thing, where a person has gone to their primary provider and the focus is you need to lose weight versus having a discussion with the patient, asking them first, do you want to talk about, you know, weight management yeah. or do you or have what any specific is, what concerns? What things even have been going on to, you know, to promote that weight gain? Yeah, exactly. Just having yeah. more understanding. Exactly. And so the first thing I definitely do is ask. And once I have permission to move forward, then we can work with each of our patients to identify a pattern or a trigger that a person may you know, have and and just bringing awareness to that and how that connects to the emotional eating. That's super important. So, you know, a lot of times our lives are busy, they're on autopilot (laughs) and you just do things automatically without realizing it. And so taking a moment to be mindful really, really helps. And it kind of leads to my, my favorite phrase. So most people have heard of you are what you eat. My favorite phrase is you feel what you eat. (laughs) <laughs> so I like it. <laughs> yeah, you feel what you eat. So mindfulness really is key. So paying attention to the foods that you're putting into your body, paying attention to, you know, the things that you're drinking, that you're eating, and documenting how it makes you feel. People don't usually do that. You know, we may just be eating mindfully. We're sitting in front of the computer and we're eating. We're, um, you know, eating in front of the television screen. And it is obviously very much more common <laughs> right. that you're going to 
to be less mindful in those situations because you're not paying attention. You're not slowing down. And so just taking a moment to slow down and just to be mindful about everything you're putting in, slowing down your eating. Those are things that really do help with emotional eating and just really recognizing the triggers. Yeah, that's so true. There was even a study that came out, um, not maybe a year or so ago, about people consuming more calories if they're doing things like scrolling social media or watching television, you know, our favorite things to do while eating. But it's like what you're saying is because, you know, your your brain at that point is not mm-hmm. on what's on your plate. You're looking at that screen and you're just scarfing it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, the other thing too about obesity medicine and having this general understanding that it is a chronic disease, this is not, oh, someone is just eating, 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 and they have food addiction. That's not necessarily the case. Not every single person who suffers from obesity has an eating disorder. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to be a round of applause. (laughs) They do not just eat. You know, there are so many factors that are involved in obesity and the the development of it. So while it is not food addiction, um, there are areas where I would counsel a patient similarly to someone who has like a substance use disorder. And the biggest thing that's similar there is the telling a person, you don't have to keep going. So if someone have has an alcohol use disorder problem, if they relapse that first time, it's like, okay, I've taken a drink. I might as well keep going. You don't have to keep going. It may be that you build in treating yourself so that you're not feeling guilty because if you're restricting yourself so heavily, you're going to eventually end up just <laughs> overdoing it um, and going backwards. And, and that really does make people feel worse. So just... If you're understanding where those triggers are again, and those situations that put you in a pattern of emotional eating, you you can just build some, build in some guardrails, build in a little bit of space. You want to do things in moderation, um, not all the time. So also other coping mechanisms, right? So if you are feeling stressed, down, upset, one of the things we know, we've got natural dopamine boost from exercise. So just walking. I'm not talking about going out and running or, you know, doing insanity videos (laughs) or, or, you know, just taking a simple walk um, can be very therapeutic or just using other coping mechanisms, things that you like to do. Do you like to just listen to music and dance around your house? Do you, you don't know how to meditate? YouTube has all kinds of free meditations that you can use and pull up. (laughs) Yes, you can. There's so much out there. Um, Engaging in spiritual practice. Sometimes just getting back to your own roots if you you want to sit and pray and again, meditate. Um, Journaling. Some people like to journal, just writing and getting some of those feelings out on paper is also very help. And, you know, again, as long as you're in a safe and comfortable environment, taking a a walk or doing something to that effect that may reduce stress is, is always helpful as well. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Now we're going to switch the, 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 the road we're going down here just a little bit. Uh, And I want you to tell us a bit if there are any differences in the relationship between obesity and mental health based on gender or cultural background, those differences there. And then how does that even factor into a manifestation of mental health issues related to obesity? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And that's an excellent question. I'm glad that we're talking about it, especially during this July, which is also BIPOC Mental Health Month. So BIPOC meaning Black, Indigenous, people of color. So <laughs> I'm glad we're having these discussions here. And then last month of June was Pride Month. So I do want right. to highlight a few specific uh, topics here and just yeah, give some awesome. pretty pretty startling statistics here. So, so yes, obesity has a disproportionate impact on certain racialized ethnic groups as well as other special populations. So, for example, almost 50% total of Black adults and over 45% of people identifying as, as Hispanic and or Latino experience obesity. And that's compared to 41% of white adults. Pretty startling. Yeah. <laughs> Amongst Indigenous communities, Indigenous adolescents have a 30% higher rate of obesity and indigenous adults have 50% higher rates of obesity when compared to their white counterparts. Wow. And a lot of that may be- That's one in- to uh, for, you know, our listeners there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this may really, you know, for Indigenous Americans, this can be related to directly to food deserts. They're created by remote locations of reservations for, you know, Latinx populations, Hispanic populations here in the United States. There is a direct link, as we know, with, you know, health, general health disparities to systemic institutionalized racism, you know, and so while the gaps have closed over time, clearly these are very, very startling numbers and things that we have to pay attention to. Also, um, if you're thinking about socioeconomic status, um, people who are living in poverty tend to have higher rates of obesity. But I did find one very interesting resource that showed that Black men who have higher income actually had higher rates of obesity. Now, this could be similarly related to the higher risk of development and mental health conditions in Black people, which is regardless of socioeconomic status. And again, some of that may be related to racialized discrimination, you know, institutional racism. That Um, is interesting. I also mm -hmm. wonder too, if it's one of those things like, you know, now that you gain more affluence that you tend to associate, you know, some of those, the, the big, biggest steak or, you know, some of those more unhealthy mm-hmm. foods too. Um, and the, you know, the, we readily have easy access to a lot of these foods. Um, so I also mm-hmm. wonder if, you know, that level of affluence for, you know, black males who, who do have more uh, higher income with that. Yes. Just having access. Correct. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That definitely may have an impact as well. As far as educational attainment, people who have uh, college degrees tend to be less likely to have obesity. And I'll link this specifically to the recent affirmative action decision. So if you can imagine that with changing dynamic over time, this is going to be threatening the ability of people of color to enroll in college. It'll be very interesting to see, you know, what happens in terms of rates of obesity um, and people who have lesser educational attainment as well. And so for LGBTQ groups, I found some studies from 2015. Very, very interesting. So um, people who identify as bisexual tended to have the highest rates of obesity at almost 44%. But then the rates varied um, very widely between uh, gender identity. So uh, for bisexual women, 49% suffered from obesity versus 34% of bisexual men. 
Also, for people who identified as gay or lesbian, um, there was a total of 28% obesity. But again, women carried a higher burden of obesity at 37% versus uh, 21% of gay men. And then also, if you break that down even further by racialized ethnic groups, Black individuals identifying as bisexual had about a 50% rate of obesity, mm. followed by um, Hispanic women who identified as lesbian, and then Hispanic individuals identifying as bisexual. Um, so they're even within an already minoritized group, you have these racialized differences as well, um, and disproportionate rates and impacts. So a, a lot of this can, again, be related to, you know, systemic racism, racialized prejudice or um, discrimination, socioeconomic factors, acculturation stressors for people who are, you know, coming into the United States for the first time. And all of this can, you know, contribute to obesity and mental right. health issues. Right. Yeah. And, you know, add in the fact of chronic stress, stress. Um, mm. what we know, there have been some newer studies that have, you know, come out about the impact of chronic stress, not only on our uh, health in terms of cardiovascular disease, but even on our mental health and obesity rates also. And, and that's, interesting with the populations that you highlighted uh, for people of color, LGBTQ community, we know these communities are under yes. stress. And so, yeah, definitely, you know, highlights that point of what this chronic stress can be doing to people. And so that's definitely important to know. And for us as a medical community and just being a good human to help people, you know, to right. you know, that stress. Right. And you also think about, and even going back to like the idea of bias and already having weight bias, but then when you're combining it with a bias against a gender identity or against your racialized identity, then that really complicates the picture. And so truly having people who are sensitive and humble to all of these issues to be able to treat people is super important. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dr. Jamie. All right. Now, before I let you go, what are three tips that you would give someone who may be challenged by obesity and a mental health condition? Okay. That's a good note. Great questions today. <laughs> the first one I'll say is don't give up. When it comes to having mental health conditions or, you know, suffering from obesity or having a combination of both. It can really, it can really feel hope helpless. And you're trying to work things out in terms of losing weight or recovering from anxiety and depression. Just don't give up. Know that there's help out there. There are resources, there's support out there for you. And so try not to give up. Having a, um, a trusting relationship with your primary care provider is super important and key because it can keep you motivated um, and moving towards whatever goals you have for yourself in terms of that recovery. Don't ignore yourself. Don't ignore things that are happening to you. It's really never too late to turn things around. It may feel hopeless as, you know, I was just mentioning, but again, see your doctor regularly. Uh, and, and when you're ready, don't be afraid to ask them for help on that journey to try to figure out uh, the best way that you can partner with them to improve your physical or your mental health. And last, just take baby steps. Change happens one day at a time. Change is very, very hard. Don't beat yourself up if you, you know, go backwards. You can, you know, build in those guardrails as I talked about before. And then also focusing on small daily goals. Um, that's super important. Don't overwhelm yourself because those small goals can turn into larger ones over time. 
Awesome. Those are fantastic tips. So audience, I hope you're like taking notes, writing it down so you can reflect back on those things. Well, thank you so, so, so much, Dr. Jamie, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Now, uh, first, are you accepting new patients? And if someone is looking for a psychiatrist like yourself, uh, especially someone with that extra obesity uh, medicine training, how can they connect with you? So um, I am not actively practicing in a combined practice at this moment. A lot of what I use my obesity medicine uh, knowledge and training for is within my active role and work that I do in emergency rooms and seeing patients in hospitals at this um, current time. Um, however, there um, are a couple of providers out there. I don't have the, I'm going to send you the name of the one person okay. <laughs> that I know who's out there, who I believe has a, um, a practice that is virtual and and she is, I think, quadruple boarded, and she's a psychiatrist, child adolescent psychiatrist, and also has obesity and lifestyle medicine uh, mm -hmm. certification. So I'll refer you that way. Um, I am not on uh, any social media platforms like Facebook, um, Instagram, or TikTok but at this time. Which but is Dr. Jamie's uh, <laughs> excellent way of self-care. Yeah, that is a part of my self-care process and journey. Um, but people can follow me on LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn, I am Dr. Evans Fam Psych. So it's D-R-E-V-A-N-S-F-A-M-P-S-Y-C-H. You can follow me there. Awesome. Awesome. And I will put those resources in the show notes, including that other uh, physician so that folks can have a, a resource for someone like yourself who is certified in psychiatry as well as obesity medicine. Because I think it's such a great combination. So exciting. Yes, All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Jamie. Thank you, Dr. Shayla. Have a great one. Thank you for joining me today on the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss a moment of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Check out the show notes to obtain your free tips for healthy living guide to get you started on your health and wellness path. Follow me on social media at Essence of Health Wellness Clinic on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at dr.tw at eohwc on TikTok. Interested in becoming a member of the Essence of Health Coaching Program? Well, head on over to www.eohcoaching.com. The Essence of Health is in you.